We've been going through these series, these Advent words that we use, and uh, and 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 today we come to the word peace. Uh, and and what is peace? I really appreciate those little film clips because they give you all that fun technical stuff that the Bible is telling us it means. Because we we don't really sometimes understand what peace means. You know, uh, the, the word peace appears in the text. It's written up there, Luke 2, 14. We'll read that in a minute. But I remember, because I'm an old guy and, and, and all that, I remember in my childhood, everybody's running around holding up two fingers going, peace. Now, people are doing that again a little bit, you know, uh, and, and I'm seeing that. And I always laugh at that because uh, I, I, the people that used to run around going, peace, peace, you know, they had no clue what peace meant. Uh, they really did not. They thought peace was that we did not fight any of other nation in warfare. And and uh, obviously that is a sense of the word that we use. I hope you heard the fullness of the word, what it actually means today uh, on that little film clip. But, but people run around flashing the peace sign and talking about, and they thought peace was a cessation of war in a political way. And, uh, and, and they were half right because biblical peace is a cessation of war. We're just confused about who we are at war with. We're not at war with other nations. Man is at war with God. And God made the peace. And you got to understand that, that, that God took the whole burden on himself to make the peace. Um, there's a, a, a man, he's alive today, his name's Stephen Lawson. A bunch of books. Uh, he, he, uh, uh, just a, a man of high standing in the Christian community. And this is just a quote of his. It was just so clear, so plain. I wanted to read it to you. You are either at peace with God or at war with him. There is no middle ground. Uh, you may be here today and be kind of religious, like you like to go to church, and especially this time of year when we're reminded, oh yeah, we go to church. Sort of like in January when everybody's going to show up to the gym for the first day, and, uh, and then we kind of forget it again. Um, you know, this is the time we come, we talk about, and it is nice. People are nicer now. We give more. We look, we're nicer to people and, and, and all of that. And, and so I'm glad you're here. But, the, but the, the fact is, even if you try to live a good life and you try to do nice things and right things in life, you are either at peace with God or at war with God. And I'm going to I'm going to explain that more uh, uh, later on. Uh, there was another quote. Uh, in fact, just this morning, uh, Bobby Sims showed this to me. In 1948, General Omar Bradley made this statement. And this was at the end of World War II. We have grasped the mystery of the atom and rejected the Sermon on the Mount. The world has achieved brilliance without wisdom, power without conscience. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. We know more about war than we know about peace, more about killing than we do about living. Aren't those words still echoing today? I mean, we are a nation at war, and we've been at war for a long time, speaking of political um, uh, warfare uh, against other nations and against other ideologies and people, but even within our own nation, we are at war. I don't know if you've been paying attention or not, but we are at war. I'll stop myself or I'll get on a soapbox and talk about stuff that it doesn't matter right now at this moment. So, we, but we are at war. And, and yet, you can stand with me. I know it's just for a moment. But I want to read this, this verse, Luke 2, 14. Now, I want to point something out to you that probably you've noticed, but just in case you haven't. Uh, 
I, I'm not reading all of Luke 2, and hopefully you know that story. If you don't, Luke 2 is the story of the birth of Jesus. But you know the story. There's Mary and there's Joseph. Mary was a virgin who found herself pregnant, and she was already engaged. And in the Bible sense of the wording, that word engagement, as good as married, it was legal for them to live together as man and wife. But it was frowned upon by religious and polite society. And so Mary was still a virgin. Joseph had not taken all lawful rights with her, and yet she found herself expecting a child. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about Joseph later, but as the pregnancy increased, they had to go to Bethlehem to pay a tax, a brand new tax that had come up. And while they were there, she gave birth to Jesus. And when she did, these angels appeared to some shepherds out in the field and told them to go and look for this child, that this child is the promised Messiah, and said, you'll find him, this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly with this angel that was speaking to the shepherds, there's a multitude of angels. And the Bible used the word multitude when it means you can't count them in, on, you know, fingers and toes. There's more than that. There's a bunch of them. And they were praising God. And if you ever like to do a bet with someone, ask them what the angels sang. Because it doesn't say sang, it says said. There's no place in the Bible where the angels sing. Or play harps for that matter. Most of them are... Most of them are carrying swords, man. They are, these are some warrior dudes. These are not little, cute little things, and they're never girls. They're always guys. But anyway, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth among those with whom he is pleased. That's what I want to point out to you. Everybody, even second people, are like, peace on earth, peace on earth, peace on earth, peace on earth. No, it doesn't say that. It says peace to those with whom he is pleased. Would you pray with me, Lord God? We really do not understand your mind and your will apart. We, we don't know who you are, therefore we don't know who we are. Open our eyes today to see who you are. Open our eyes to see what you have done for us. That Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to here and, and taking on that body. And thank you that that body that was crucified rose again and is now seated there in heaven at the right hand of God. And we thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit to open our minds and hearts to your truth. So I pray that you would do that, not only for those who already know you, but those who need to know you. But God, today, as we step into your presence, in Jesus' name, we ask, Lord, give us understanding. And then, Lord, may we be obedient to that which you show us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this, this word, peace... I think it's a very important word. And if you, if you take nothing else home with you today, take this home. The peace of God is evident in a child of God. Uh, I want to point out a few things about peace in our lives. First of all, this text in, Rome, in, in Luke 2.14, it says there is peace on earth amongst men with whom he is pleased. And, and, and that is the, those who are saved. And I, I wanted to define peace. That film clip did it better than I could. Um, in, in Israel, specifically yesterday on Saturday, which it's, late, it's seven hours past where we are right now in Israel. But yesterday, they did not just say shalom. They said sabbat shalom, which means the shalom of the Sabbath. This, this time where they were remembering God and thinking about the peace that God brings. That this, this peaceful peace, this relationship restoration from God. Because there is no peace on earth. I mean... 
I, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're, you, not only is our nation at war with others, not only other nations at war with each other, not only may you be at war with some people in your own house, be you married to them or gave birth to them or something like that, or you're at war with somebody at work or with a friend. Uh, I got this strain in my family. Somebody was always mad at somebody else. They're always fussing and carrying on. And, and I could give you that family name, but somebody, I doubt they'd hear this, but if, just in case they do. But they know who they are if you hear this. You know who you are. And, and we used to marvel at that at my, at my home. It's just like, man, they're always fussing at somebody. This one's not talking to that one and all that. And, 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 and the people just are not at peace. But you know who we're at war with the most? The person in the mirror every morning. We're at war with ourselves because I don't know about you, but I know how bad I am. Actually, I don't know how bad I am. The Bible tells me I don't know how bad I am, but I know I'm not right. When you tell me you're not right, I go, I know. I used to have a pastor friend that used to look at me and say, Stuart, there's just parts of you that aren't saved. And I was like, well, yeah, probably. That's probably true. I don't know. There is no peace on earth. We, we're not even at peace with ourselves. We, we don't feel comfortable living here. And for the child of God, there is a, an unsettling when, when you're walking with God because this is not our home. Now that we have... God in us and we have been made a new creature. We are no longer at home in this world. We were created for another world, a different world. And that's where we're headed. And that's where we will find that final full peace. But right now we can have the peace of God in us. Jesus was living in a body in this world where conflict all around him. But he was at peace with himself and with God because of who he was. And so that's why he could just go to sleep in a boat in the midst of a hurricane. It wasn't actually a hurricane, but a bad storm. Because why did he have anything to worry about? He hadn't finished the job God had for him. And if he was finished and God killed him, that'd be okay too. He was all right. He knew where he came from, knew where he's going. It says that in John 13. You can read it. He knew where he came from, where he was headed. And he was at peace. He was just always at peace. And God brings that kind of peace to those who know, them, who know him. Because we're at war against God. Now, as a sister, our enemy, Satan, right? And we ought to realize that. And listen, when I use these terms like war and peace, I am not using them figuratively. These are not metaphors. These are actualities. Because our enemy, Satan, seeks to steal, kill, and destroy us. Uh, when Pastor Cream was here, he, he told me that that word destroy, we, it, it's a little bit less in English than what it means in his Arabic Bible. That word destroy means to cut off the head. And that is what Satan is after against you. Now, there's two kinds of people in the world. Those who want everything to be nice and hope everybody will just play nice. And then there are those who are ready to defend themselves if people don't play nice. And so they are more aware of the danger around them. The people that want everybody to be nice, doesn't, don't think, they don't think about the danger much because it scares them. And I find that in the church. The people are like, well, I, you know, I don't want to upset the devil. I don't want to get him mad at me. Dude, it don't matter whether you get him mad at you or not. He is already mad at you. He hates you. Because God put on flesh and lived among us and died so you could know God and be saved. And Satan never got a second chance. We get not only a second chance, but a third and a fourth and a fifth. Once we know Christ, man, God is not the God of the second chance. He's the God of the millionth chance. 
He is a God who's, whose love is everlasting. His patience is inexhaustible. And he loved us. And when he saved us, he forgave us completely from beginning to end. From the first sin I ever committed when I was conceived to the last sin I'll ever commit just before I see him face to face. Those are all been paid for by the blood of Christ. And so we can be at peace with God. And we got to understand that. And if you're at peace with God, you've just made Satan your enemy. And there's nothing you can do about it. He wants to kill you. He wants to steal from you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy your, your livelihood. He wants to destroy everything about you because he hates you because God gave you grace and favor when he was the highest angel, when he was the most beautiful and had the, the, the most beautiful voice and did all these things. And then he rebelled against God and God just took him down and then never gave him a second chance. And the very first thing man ever did was rebel against God. And in that man's sin, while God was dealing with the sin, promised a Savior. We covered that when we talked about hope and love coming. That God has already taken care of those things for us in Christ. And you've got to get that. There's no peace on earth externally, but we can be at peace with God internally so that we can be at peace in this world. You see, there is no peace among the nations. You... I would ask you to turn there. I had trouble finding this, so I, I marked it because it's only a few pages long. And it's in the middle of the Minor Prophets, Zechariah chapter 9, okay? It's not a very long book toward the end of, of the Old Testament. But it's a great uh, a prophecy here in Zechariah chapter 9. And again, it's one that sometimes can be misused because since the beginning of time, nations have been at war against nations. That's just going to go till the end, till Jesus comes back. Their nations will rise up against nations. It happens more and more and more just before Jesus comes back, the Bible promises. But nations have always been at war. But you know what? All the nations of the world have always been at war with Israel. And it goes back to what I was just describing. God chose a people, the Jewish people. And, and why? Just because he wanted to. It was part of his plan. We don't understand. I don't understand why God loves me. I certainly don't understand why God loves you. Y'all remember that little t-shirt? You know, God loves you and I'm trying. God loves us when we're unlovable. That's what the Bible says, right? Romans 8, that when we were still in our sin, God loved us. While we were still sinners, while we were still rebelling, he loved us. Why did he love Israel? I don't know. That's just how he did it. He doesn't let us know why he does stuff, except he wants to do it. And he's God. And why, how dare you ask him why? He did it because he wanted to. And that's all the reason he needs, right? But the world has always been at war with Israel because God chose them and blessed them. And the Messiah came through them. And if Satan could have destroyed Israel, he would have. You can look at their entire conflict with other nations, except when David and Solomon were there. And David won the peace with war and Solomon bought the peace with money. And then after that, they're back to warfare. And they're at war today with people they are trying to be kind to. They're at war with them. And Zechariah 9 says God's going to bring peace to Israel, but he's only going to do it through the Messiah. In Zechariah 9, it talks about all these warfare things going on. And, in, and then uh, you come to Zechariah 9 and verse 9. And here's what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, 
the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And then he says, as for you uh, also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. And so he promises peace to Israel, but the Bible tells in the New Testament, we are Israel. We are spiritual Israel. It says in Romans 2, the end of the chapter, you, you don't, I'm not going to argue with you about it, it's what it says. They're not Jews who are those outwardly circumcisions of the flesh, but they are Jews who are those inwardly, the circumcisions of the heart. And, and so we have become the people of God. That's what it means to say we are Israel. It doesn't mean we are politically Israel. We are spiritually the people of promise, the people that God promised to save us if we would come to him. And so while there's warfare among the nations, the Bible promises in Zechariah, and we see it in Revelation, where he's going to bring a peace to the world one day. And he's going to reign on this planet a thousand years before he destroys and makes a new one. So this planet will be here for Jesus to come back to, is what I'm telling you. Okay. A 16-year-old girl from Sweden is totally wrong. Every word she said, it was amazing. Every word she said was utterly wrong. She didn't say one right thing. This world will be here when Jesus returns. And he will return. Again, I'll stop there before I get into trouble. So in our text, in Romans, I mean Romans, I keep saying Romans, I'm going to Romans in a minute. In Luke chapter 2 verse 14, he says there will be peace among men. There will be peace amongst men. What kind of peace? It is the peace that God gives. And God has given us an example, if you want to turn there to Matthew 1. God has given us an example of what peace looks like in a man. I don't know if you've ever considered Joseph. Every Christmas, man, we see, we, you see the nativity scene. And there's always that, that one guy there that we don't say much about. We talk a lot about shepherds. We talk a lot about wise men. And they don't come for two years later. But you can't wait every two years to talk about the wise men. So we talk about them every Christmas. But there's really about a couple of years before they ever got there. And part of the evidence of that is Herod killed all the babies from two years old and below. You notice evil people always want to kill babies. I don't know what that's all about, but just got to throw that in there when I can, okay? But Joseph, nobody ever talks about Joseph. Poor Joseph, man. Most forgotten hero of the Bible, in my opinion. I mean, think about this. In the Jewish culture, whose responsibility is it to teach the children everything they need to know about God? Dad. Who is supposed to provide for the family? Dad. Who is the one that leads the family and takes them and, and teaches them how to survive? All those things that God put all that responsibility on the men. And he doesn't, by the way, men, he hadn't removed that responsibility. We can do it a little differently and they did it culturally then, but it's still our responsibility. It falls on us, on nobody else. And here's Joseph and, and the Bible. So he had to be a godly man. He had to be an unbelievable man for God to say, you're going to be... The stepdaddy to my son. Me, Jesus would have said. I'm going to make a man and then I'm going to let him be my dad when I go down there. I mean, you ever thought about this? I know, it gets a little mind bending. You know, he, there, there's like gospel songs, you know, he grew the tree that he died on. You think about that. Or, or, or the comedian, um, 
Mark Lowry, who wrote the song, Mary, Did You Know, that when you kissed your baby's face, you kissed the face of God. The one that you just delivered will soon deliver you. I mean, you think about this. It, this, it is, it is mind-blowing that God put on flesh and lives among us, and lived among us. But how he got here is mind-blowing. And how he did all that. And then we, but we forget about Joseph. And in Matthew 1, thankfully God didn't forget about Joseph. He shows us what kind of man Joseph was. And I believe Joseph was a man of peace. Think about his circumstances. Here he is, a godly man. And I, I already told you, engagement in the New Testament time in that culture meant the same as marriage, but not quite. And so you had full authority to take all the privileges of marriage upon you, but there was an order and a stepping of it that was considered more righteous and more polite, and Joseph took that tack. And in fact, if you look in Matthew 1, and I'm starting in verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. So here's Joseph who had exercised self-control, and now his girlfriend, is in, his fiance, is with child. And there's one thing he knows for sure. That ain't his baby. A hard decision now. What do I do? I'll talk a little bit more about culturally what he could have done and what he did do. He is, he's a carpenter, and after he takes Mary and the baby on, they have to go to Bethlehem to be taxed. And two years later, they have to run to Egypt. And then they're coming back to their hometown around Galilee, wherever it was, around Sea of Galilee, the region of Galilee. And God says, no, 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 you got to go to Nazareth. Which 30 years later, Philip told us what everybody thought about Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's where my kids live, by the way, in Nazareth. Jesus' hometown. So he's removed from his own culture. He's removed from his people. He goes to live in the worst town in Israel, according to what some people thought. Kind of in a dead-end job, because if your wife had cheated on you, and then you married her anyway, and you're raising her baby, who, who is righteous wants to go and do business with such a guy like that? You know how people are. So am I this baby's daddy or am I not? Am I her husband or am I not? For the rest of Jesus' life and Joseph's life and Mary's life, everybody doubted Joseph. It was a hopeless situation. But like Mary, who said, may it be done to your servant according to your words. So Joseph took it on. And I said, okay, if that's what it is, I'll do it. And, and I just want to point this out. Look in verse 18. Not only he had self-control because he could have taken Mary, but he had not. And she finds herself pregnant in verse 19. And her husband, notice how it says husband, because legally he was, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. He was a just man. He believed in justice, that sin must be punished, that crime must be dealt with. And she had broken the law and she had hurt him. And she needed to be put away, which means divorced. 
But if a woman is found having committed adultery and there's proof and she's pregnant and they're not going to believe the woman over the man in that culture, especially not even a witness at a court case in her day. So they're going to take Joseph's side regardless. So he knew if he put her away publicly, they're going to stone her to death. And he doesn't want that to happen because what? He does love her. But he has to do what's right. And so he's going to put her away quietly. So he was just, but he was also kind. And he is thoughtful. And I don't mean like he was nice, thoughtful, like he brought her a rose. I mean, he was willing to actually think. Those people are getting more and more rare today. We just believe what we're fed by everybody else. But look what the Bible says as he considered these things. He's going, to, I didn't get her pregnant. She's pregnant. I got to put her away, but I don't want to. But they'll kill her if I do it publicly. And how can I do this privately? How can I break this off without everybody knowing? Because they're going to know because they know we're engaged. And now she's pregnant. What am I going to do? And he's thinking it through. He's trying to figure it out. And then he's a man who is sensitive to God. As he was considering these things, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she'll bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. Now he could have blamed that on the pepperoni pizza he ate just before he went to bed. But he was sensitive enough to God that he knew that was a message from God. He was listening, and he said, there's my answer. God has given me the answer. That's the story she told me, and I don't think I just dreamed that dream because she told me the same story, but that's what she said, and this angel's confirmed it. And so as he was listening to God, he was obedient to God. Verse 24, uh, he said, uh, sorry, in verse 24, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. But he also maintain that self-control look at verse 25 but he knew her not until she given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus he kept obeying that's what the angel said you don't get to call him Joe Jr. this isn't JJ this is Jesus which whose name means salvation same as Joshua same as Hosea God's salvation and Jesus became his name. Joseph is an example of a man who had everything against him, but he's at peace because he knows God has spoken to him and he does what God called him to do, no matter the ongoing cost for the rest of his life. Well, some of those things I mentioned may be true of you. You may be discouraged in your job because you don't feel like you're getting anywhere. You may be in a job where you really don't make quite enough. You, you may be having family issues. You may be torn up from a culture you were used to or grew up in, and you're in a totally different culture, at least a slightly different one. There are a lot of things, but can you be at peace? Let me describe what it means to be at peace, because Christ is the way to peace. And so, first of all, look in Romans 5. I guess why I kept trying to say Romans. I can't wait to get Romans 5. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. And I want you to notice carefully the wording because God is careful with his words. He says them to us in a certain way. And this is a faithful rendering of the original language of Greek here. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. All right, we've got to just stop there for a second. 
because the rest won't make sense. Justified means to be declared innocent. Now, I use the word declared because you can be guilty but declared innocent. In our world, we live in a guilt and innocent society. In the Middle East and back then and still today, it's a shame-honor society. So when Joseph took Mary, he was ashamed. And he became ashamed and he lived with shame the rest of his life because the popular opinion was, and I just mean on the outside, opinion was that he had, she had messed up and he took her anyway, so therefore he messed up. And so now they have shame on them. And they're never going to get relieved of that because there's no way you can put the genie back in the bottle or the toothpaste back in the tube, whatever thing you want to say. Right? But he was at peace inside, so he didn't care about the shame outside because he knew he had honor inside. He had been chosen to be the stepdad to the son of God. So why did he care what people thought? But the Bible here uses a legal term, justified. I'm guilty of a crime but the judge has declared me innocent of that crime. And the only way a righteous judge can declare anyone innocent is if somebody pays the price for that crime. Because the crime cannot go unpaid for, even if he wants to declare you innocent. So Jesus took the penalty of our guilt on himself, and he died for us. And he paid the price so that if we trust him, believe in him... We will be saved, have eternal life, and not perish, which is to be punished for that sin. And so we receive justification through faith. What is faith? That is trusting that God is not a liar. What he said is true. And he said, Jesus said, if you come to me, I won't cast you out. If God said, if you cry out to me, I'll save you. And so those who cry out to him in the name of Jesus, he saves us. He forgives us. And we don't see it yet with eyes of flesh. We see it with eyes of faith. We trust God does not lie. And it won't be proven to us until we're dead. But just in case there was some doubt, one came back from the dead to let you know what I said is true. Not me. I was speaking as if I were Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said, hey, I'm back to let you know everything I told you is true. Romans 1 tells us that he's proven to be the son of God by rising from the dead. And notice then what happens in verse 1. Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what I said earlier? God is at war with us because we were at war with God. God didn't declare the war. We declared the war. God said, here's the rules. Here's how it works. And we said, we don't like your rules. We're going to do it our way. And we declared ourselves his enemy. We don't just go around looking for somebody to beat up as a nation, right? I hope none of you do that as an individual. But if somebody does attack you, I hope you got the backbone to defend yourself and take care of your family. And as a nation, we defend ourselves and go, hold on there, dude. Calm down. Don't do that. And they do it. Okay. And then we go to war, right? That's just how it works. God said, hey, I love you. I made you a garden. I made you a perfect world. All you got to do is eat all the food to leave that one tree alone. Because if you eat that, I'm going to kill you. Okay, no worries. And then he goes and runs and eats the tree. And God said, I told you. And we just did an act of war toward God. And God said, well, you want to fight, dude? I can, I can give you a fight. But instead of that, he says, I'm going to give you a savior. To fix this problem you created. But until you come in faith 
in Christ to God, you are at war with him. The Bible says in James, he who is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. He calls us to himself. He paid the price. And when he justifies us, now peace has been made between me and God. God is no longer at war with me. Now he becomes my father. Jesus becomes my brother. He's my Lord. He's my savior. But he says, I don't call you servant. I call you friend. I call you my brother. You are my brother now. And a joint heir with Christ, the Bible says. We get what Jesus gets. We are a joint heir, not a, another heir that gets a part of what God has. We get all of what God has. Just like Jesus got it all, we are a joint heir with him. The only place socialism works, heaven, where it's not needed. And then look in Philippians 4. So we have peace with God. And then if you turn this over, if you got a little print like mine, it's not that many pages. Philippians. We're just in Romans. First and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Chapter 4 and verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. That's a word we don't use right anymore. People say, oh, my family's coming. I'm so anxious. That means I'm worried about it. When people say, I'm so anxious my family's coming to visit, I go, what are you worrying about? Oh, I'm not worried. I'm excited. Oh, okay. you mean you're eager. <laughs> you're not anxious. So when you read it in the Bible, the only reason I make a deal out, I would actually say that to you, by the way. I'm just using it as a point. The only reason I would say it now is so you understand when you read that, that it doesn't mean you're excited. It means you are worried. Do not be anxious for anything, right? Isn't that what it says? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word guards means to build a fortress, to, to build high walls around it, to build a fortress so that the enemy cannot get in. And now you can rest. Now you can lay down. And rest because there's nobody going to get you. And when you're anxious about something, when you're in that dead end job and you, it's not, you know you're not the daddy and your wife is pregnant. Your girlfriend who you're engaged to is legally your wife but you haven't consummated the marriage and that yet she's pregnant. Not only are you at peace, have the peace with God, now you have the peace of God. To fortress your hearts and your minds. You see, if you don't know Christ, let me, let me let you in on a secret to those of us who do. God's in control. Ain't nothing going to happen to me today that God did not allow or decree. And he said, I will never leave you in the midst of this. The only reason we are at war with each other is because we're at war with ourselves and we don't live in the peace of God. Now that we have peace with God. And we get frustrated and angry about things that make us disappointed. We're self-centered instead of God-centered. And I'm preaching to me right now because I, I, I do this very easily. But I love this. The peace of God that passes understanding. Nobody can get it. I don't know if you've ever... I, I, I knew a Christian man one time and he told me he was going through some rough times. He said he had a guy at work walk up and say, 
why are you so peaceful about all this? And he said, what do you mean? He said, if I were going through what you're going through, I'd be a wreck. Oh, well, it's because I know God. <laughs> He's got it. Job said, if he slayed me, yet will I trust him. In Sunday school, I hope you've been in Sunday school. Past three weeks, we've studied two stories in Daniel. One is when the three Hebrew children, the king made a statue, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, pure gold. Said, said, when you hear the music play, and bagpipes were in that music, by the way. But when you hear, there's nothing bad about bagpipes. They use other instruments we use too. But said, when you hear the music, you bow down and worship that idol. And the whole nation, the music played, and they go, vroom, vroom, vroom. And three boys, they're standing there going, mm -mm. So the king gets angry, calls them in. said, what's the deal? You heard what I said. You got to worship the idol that I made uh, that is me, the image of me. They said, no, we don't do that. We only worship Jehovah, the Lord God. And he said, he got so mad, he turned the fire up seven times hotter. The guys that threw the boys in burn up to death. That's how hot it was. But the king said, you're going to bow or you're going to burn. And they said, well, our God can deliver us. But that's not the cool words. The cool words come next. But if he doesn't, we are not going to bow to your idol. See, if the church would get there, if we don't bow to the world's influence, the, the, the things they tell us we got to do or can't do, and we say, no, nah, we don't worship you. As our president has said, in America, we worship God, not government. And if we would do what God called us to do, our government would be better, right? And then Daniel, and so they threw him in the fire, and you know the rest. <laughs> King looked in there from a distance and said, wow, didn't we throw in three guys? They said, yeah, why? He said, because I see four, <laughs> and the fourth looks like a son of God. Hey, guys, why don't y'all come on out of there? So they walked out going, yeah, what What'd you need? <laughs> I love that story, man. It is just so cool. And a few chapters later, it says that, they wanted to kill, get rid of Daniel because Daniel's a high up political official, but he loved God and he knew things that, and they didn't like him having God in his life. And they said, the only way we can catch him is if we catch him concerning his God. So they made a law, got the king, fooled the king and to sign the law. It said, if you pray to any other God in the next however many days, you're going to be thrown into a den full of lions. And the Bible said, Daniel, knowing that the decree had been signed, went home and prayed to the God of Israel with his windows open so everybody could see him. Got him! Yay! Gonna throw you in a den of lions. He went, I don't care, whatever. <laughs> throw him in there and God shut the mouths of the lions. I don't, you know, we always tell that story and end there. Go back and read it. After Daniel got out the next day, the guys who fooled the king into signing that decree, they got thrown in there and guess what? The lions' mouths were no longer shut. <laughs> Yeah, they were hungry. They didn't get the snack on Daniel. Daniel was supposed to be an appetizer, but when you have the peace with God, you can have the peace of God no matter what your circumstances are. And of course, Jesus is the greatest example. I already said in a boat, crowd trying to kill him. He just walks away from him and then willfully goes to a cross for us. Nobody grabbed him and arrested him outside of his will. He did that as... The will of God. I, I want you to understand that once you have peace, it is a gift from God to be released by you to those around you. Look in Colossians, next book. Just turn a couple of pages. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. 
Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. By the way, go back home today and read all of chapter. We'll read the whole book of Philippians, only four chapters. That four chapter, before what we read, there's two women in the church at war with each other. Paul said, tell those women to get along. And then he talks about how to have peace. And then he talks about how to practically put that in your life. Don't think about the, the bad things. Concentrate on the, all the great things God has done. And the peace of God will be present with you once you give him in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that my life is not easy. My life is horrible. These bad things are happening. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for giving that as a gift to me. So I'll call out to you in prayer and watch you work. And then you have the peace of God. God's going to take care of it. In verse 15 of Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one and be thankful. He's talking to the church here. We ought to let Christ dwell in our hearts, the peace of Christ. We, a, a church that's fighting with itself has been inspired by Satan. God never calls a church to be at war with itself. God doesn't call us as a church to be at war with any other church. You got to understand that. God, we fight against the devil and against the worldly influence, but we don't fight them with signs, pickets, and guns. We fight them with the peace of God and the love of God. Right? We go to them because they need to know the Savior we know so they can have peace with God, so they have the peace of God. The reason they're agitated, the reason they're upset, the reason they are so angry, number one is their daddy is the devil. That'd make anybody sad. But guess what? You can leave his family and get adopted by God. Just in case you were confused about this, you want to get out from that darkness into the light. And when you cry out, the Bible says in the same book, Colossians, he picks you up out of the darkness and puts you in the light. He adopts you. He takes you into his family. He makes you one of his. And this gift of peace should rule in our hearts so everybody around us sees. How are you handling that? I'm handling that because I know the God who's in control of everything. <laughs> Watching TV last night. And they're back. They've been gone for a long time. I don't know why, but now they're back. And we do have cable, so it may not be on every channel, but the channel we're watching, advertisement for psychics. I think they're Texas psychics or something. I don't know if that makes them better. It was weird. And these people, it was wonderful. It's like a dollar a minute. And they can tell you just enough to keep you going for a lot of minutes. I'm just going to tell you. And by the way, if you call a psychic, you are a special kind of stupid. Just going to tell you. Because <laughs> number one, they're lying. Number two, the Bible says to do that is to be an enemy of God. It's against, you are saying that you don't trust God with your life. And God, in the Old Testament, they stone you for that stuff. Now, my wife's going to fuss at me later for calling you stupid, but I still won't take it back. Because she doesn't like me to be ugly like that. I'm not ugly. That's just the truth. That wasn't me being ugly or mean. That's just the truth. I mean, I'm a special kind of stupid in a lot of things, but not that one. Okay? So you can tell me you're stupid. And I'll go, yeah, you're right. I can, you want alphabetically or numerically? I get it. But these commercials come on. These people gone. It was wonderful. I, I love physical fitness. And she saw me owning a yoga studio. And I'm like, well, hey, good dude. I hope they paid you to say that because that is really bad. And, and, and we go after this kind of stuff because we don't have the peace with God and the peace of God. I don't need to know what's happening tomorrow because I know who holds tomorrow. 
I don't have to worry about the present difficulty I'm in because I know God has an ordered plan in my life so that he, he that began a good work in me will complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to work through my life until I am dead and gone to accomplish his will and not mine. But when I want my will, I'm at war with God even as a believer. I, I'm, I'm pushing against what God's trying to get me to do and like the little child that fights because they don't want to get in the car seat, but you know, for their safety, they got to get there, and you put them in there with them kicking, screaming, and crying anyway. Not that I've seen that, but I'm just saying. <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about. If you're a parent, been a parent, had to do that, a grandparent. But why do you go through all that? Because they need to be in that seat, and some of us are kicking and screaming, and God's trying to get us in a place of safety, and we won't go. Peace is a gift from God. And by the way, just in case you were wondering, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Go backwards in your Bible. You're in Colossians. Go back Philippians, Ephesians to Galatians chapter 5. Go backwards. In verse 22, he begins to enumerate everything that's included in the fruit of the Spirit. I, I want you to notice verse 22. It's not an S on fruits. It is one fruit. And in that one fruit has all the vitamins you need, Okay. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Yeah, we talked about love last week, didn't we? <laughs> part of the fruit of the Spirit. Joy. Talking about that next week. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Peace. Shalom. With salvation, when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, and when the Holy Spirit comes to live in the church, peace is part of the DNA of the individual and the church when the Holy Spirit is there and allowed to work. I want you to catch that. Peace isn't something you work for, fight for, or try to obtain. Read the book of James. Why is there warring and fighting among your members? Because you, you, you're going after stuff for your own greed. Even if you ask God for it, you only want it to consume it on yourself. You're not asking for the will of God to do the walking for yourself. You're selfish. But if you walk in the Spirit, peace is part of the gift of the fruit of the Spirit. You see that? I hope you do. goes on to say the rest, just so you see it all. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. If there is not peace in your life, one of two things is true. And only one of two things can be true. You either are not walking in the, in the Spirit of God. You're not living a life of faith in the Spirit of God, or you don't know God at all. You are either at peace with God or at war with Him, and there is no middle ground. That's not Bible, but that was a good quote, because it's a true quote. So what can you do this week to have the peace of God? It sounds like I'm in on a fussing note. I meant that to be encouraging. You have peace. If you know the Lord, you have peace. You just are not walking in the knowledge that you have that peace. You're not walking in the Holy Spirit knowing that peace is the gift of God. And once you know God, oh, he's got this. I don't have to worry about it. My wife will ask me to do something and then she worries about it for a couple of reasons. One, she is the best motivator manager I know. And people don't do what you expect, they do what you inspect. And she's really good at that. Secondly, I hardly ever remember to do what she asked me to do. So she reminds me, right? And you need to be reminded you're supposed to be walking in the Holy Spirit. And if you're not letting the Holy Spirit speak to you through the Bible and the Word and the church all the time, you forget, wait, I got peace. 
The only reason I'm upset is because I'm not realizing God's got this thing taken care of. And so we can have peace because Jesus came. And because he came, there is peace among men with whom he is pleased. You say, well, how do I know if God's pleased with me? I tell you how. Ask him to come into your life. Because if you'll ask him, he will come. And if he did, then you are a person that he came to die for. It's that easy. All you got to do is ask him. Hey, I need your salvation. I need you to enter my life. I need you to take over my life. Save me. Just, I made a mess. I need you to fix it. He goes, got it. And he will save you and he will never leave you. And he will start to change your life from that moment on. Immediately you become a new creation. And then he teaches you how to walk in him from there. Well, what can you do this week? If you already know the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, come to Christ. But if you do know the Lord, come to Christ and be at peace with God. If you don't know the Lord, come to Christ and be at peace with God. Get the peace with God. Because the first thing that's got to happen is you've got, you got to put down your fish. You've got to put down your sword. You've got to drop your weapon and say, I surrender. Because peace in a war means absolute surrender. With no conditions. That's the only way America stops a war, a legitimate war. In World War II, on that deck, Japan said unconditional surrender. We give up. And then we rebuilt the nation for them. And now they're a wealthy, prospering nation because we're a Christian nation founded on Christian principles and that's what you do. Once you win, then you help the person you just beat to, become, to get back on their feet. That's how it should work. Anyway, come to Christ and be at peace with God. It's never a sense of revenge or anger. It's a sense of protection. So come to Christ and be at peace with God. Live in Christ by the Holy Spirit, to have the peace of God. If you're not walking daily in the Word of God, you're not going to realize what God has for you. Do, do you understand that the Bible is a, God's love letter to you? And if you don't know Him, you, you can't understand His love letter because it was written to those who love God. And whom God loves. So come to Christ so that you'll know the love of God so you can understand what the Word of God says. And once you know the Word of God, then you can walk in the Spirit because this is the guidebook. This is the directions. This tells us everything we need to know for the Holy Spirit to help us. So live in Christ and by the Holy Spirit give you His peace. And then live God's peace around others to show Christ to those outside of Him. To the people that don't know Him, live differently than they do. And I don't mean by that, go, how are they living? i got to figure out how to do that differently. No. Walk with God, and I promise you, you'll be different from the people that don't know God. That's automatic. you just got to find out what God wants and do what He said, and you'll look different. You'll look absolutely different. I, I met a young lady this week at a store, and she seemed different. She wasn't the typical employee in that store, and I found out later... As I was talking to her, she's a Christian. She was a person helping me find something on the shelf. And I got to talking to her, as I do, and she's a believer. I said, okay, that's what it is. I said, there's something there. I figured that might be it. She was already a believer. There's just something different. Listen, if the God who created the universe in six days by speaking it into existence comes to live in you, somebody ought to notice. Notice. 